Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Let's begin with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. And the moment of silence, if you'll do some deep inhales and some deep exhales, that would be tremendous. Serenity prayer. God. 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 Grant me the serenity, serenity to accept, accept the, the things I cannot, I cannot change. change. The courage to change, change the things I can. Wisdom to know wisdom the difference. To know the difference. I, will not mind I will not mind the difference. Hey, Bert. Hi, Jim. Hey, Art. Got so many people, friends I know. Hi, I'm Harvey Asher, sexaholic, and I've been sexually sober 36 years, and let's see what date. It's today the 7th of the 8th. Let's see. 7th. 7th. So it's still 36 years and 6 months. Tomorrow is my birthday. Um, This is a very different forum. It's not a classic essay meeting. It's a get together where the emphasis will be on uh, the chat of you asking questions and I'll answer them the best I can. Based on articles I have written over the years uh, for the essay, Uh, There have been about 13 or 14 articles. I've listed about six for this seminar, and we'll see how it goes if you all want to expand it. I want to tell you a personal experience yesterday. Uh, I don't read, I don't prepare what I say. And this format's a little different for me because I read to you my article. So yesterday, I read my article. And I said, there is no way I could have written this. Um, In the first meeting we had, I shared that I'm dyslexic. And I could talk okay, but I don't write well. 
Matter of fact, the first article I wrote that we worked on, I think it was in 202, a few weeks ago, I sent to Art, who's here on our screen, because he is brilliant with language, the English language, and to edit it. <laughs> and after that, I don't know what happened. I started writing without any problem, these articles. And when I read this one, it became so inside me to realize about the 11th step, where it says the 11th step prayer, we are vessels, just vessels. And I'm so glad I let my myself be a vessel to write articles and not let my dyslexia, my fear of people thinking I don't write well, interfere. And it just did it. So we're going to go ahead. I'm going to read to you the article, which was um, written in 2013. <laughs> I wrote the article because of the minimal emphasis I heard in the fellowship on the concept of insanity. Because if we're restored to sanity in the second step, we must be insane in the first step. So I'm going to go ahead and read this, which is not my usual style. Hopefully it won't take too long. And then we're going to go right into questions and answers. Step, uh, here it goes. In our meetings, we often discuss step one as it relates to powerlessness. But we seldom talk about the second half of step one, unmanageability in terms of insanity. Step two states that we can be restored to sanity. So that must mean we are having problems with insanity to begin with. How gentle Bill W. was with us when he wrote unmanageable in step one, instead of coming right out and saying our lives became insane. However, Bill does use the word insanity in other parts of the big book. Concerning Jim, the car salesman who gets drunk at a bar, he writes, he had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic, yet all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if he, only he mixed it with milk. Whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this insanity. 
How can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight be called anything else? That's page 36, 37 in the AA book. In speaking about the jaywalker, Bill says, our behavior is absurd and incomprehensible with respect to the first drink is that of an individual with a passion, say, for jaywalking. He gets thrilled out of skipping in front of fast-moving vehicles. He enjoys himself for a few years in spite of friendly warnings. Such a man would be considered crazy, wouldn't he? You may think our illustration is too ridiculous, but is it? We who've been brought through the ringer have to admit if we substituted alcoholism for jaywalking, the, end of, the illustration would fit us exactly. However intelligent we may have been in other respects, where alcohol has been involved, we have been strangely insane. It's strong language, but isn't it true? That's the AA book 37 through 38. The essay literature uses the word insanity in regards to step one. Our first step had revealed at least some of our irrational thinking and behavior. And we slowly begin to began to realize that such loss of control was a form of insanity. Essay book, page 90. But back to me now. What is this insanity? I believe there are two aspects of insanity. Hallucinations and delusions. Let us first examine the aspect of hallucinations. How well I know this form. For me, hallucinations can be auditory or visual. Before recovery, when I saw a beautiful woman smile at me, I often thought I heard her say, let's have sex together. In reality, she was just smiling and not saying a word. Is this not an auditory hallucination? Especially during my early recovery, I would see men and women fully dressed and yet for a moment would see them naked in my mind. Is this not a visual hallucination? Although this is not a medical diagnosis, it certainly must be a condition of the first step that I accept my own insanity before I can become ready to be restored to sanity in step two. How can I be restored to sanity if I cannot acknowledge I am insane? The second aspect of insanity is delusional thinking. We can also call it the obsession of the mind. Bill W. writes about this in a memorial article about alcoholic number three, Bill D, which comes from the grapevine on page 36, 361. 
November 1954. So here we were talking to Bill, the first man on the bed. We told him about our drinking. We hammered it into him that alcoholism was an obsession of the mind coupled to an allergy of the body. The obsession we explained condemned the alcohol to drink against his will and the allergy, if he went on drinking, could positively guarantee his insanity or death. How to unhook that fatal compulsion, how to restore the alcoholic to sanity was, of course, the problem. What is this obsession? As the big book explains, the idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. AA book, page 30. This will and should discourage many inquirers who admit to sexual obsession or compulsion. Ah, excuse me. In what is sexaholic and what is sexual sobriety, Roy makes an explicit parallel with alcoholic thinking in regard to our sobriety requirement. He states, the, this will and should discourage many inquirers who admit to sexual obsession or compulsion, but who simply want to control and enjoy it, much as the alcoholic would like to control and enjoy drinking. Essay page four. Only about a page more. Am I reading too fast? Do I need to slow down? On a, nope. okay. On a personal level, I'm relieved to know that I am not bad getting good. I am insane getting saner. How else can I explain the behavior I participated in until I came into SA? Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. AA book, page 23. If my problem is in my mind, then what can I do about it? When an aberrant sexual thought hits my mind, it's like any other thought. It comes in and it goes out just as easily as it came in. It is as if I'm standing on a bank of a river. The water flows by. And at that moment, I have a choice. Do I want to watch the water flow? Or do I want to jump in and possibly drown? Do I want to let the aberrant thought flow out as quickly as it flows in? Or do I want to be delusional again and think I can control and enjoy lust. 
an entire chapter in Sexaholics Anonymous book entitled Overcoming Lust and Temptation, 157-168, is focused on this area of our malady. With each lust temptation, I have the opportunity to let go by using the tools suggested in that chapter. As Jess L. used to say, the first thought is on God, the next thought is on me. Today, this was written many years ago. Today, with over 28 years of sobriety, I'm convinced that I cannot successfully control and enjoy lust. There is no hiding behind technicalities of sobriety. There is no hiding behind dishonesty to self. Time after time in recovery, I have watched people try to control and enjoy lust. I have not personally seen this work for those who try it. Today, I'm so grateful that my hallucinations have lessened and that I no longer have the delusion that I can enjoy and control lust. I'm truly thankful that I am being restored to sanity one day at a time. Harvey Asher, Nashville, Tennessee, S, uh, March 2013. That's it, people. It's up to you all. And Daniel will be handling the questions and answers. For sure. Reminded that, Thanks, it's, being, reminded that it's being recorded. Um, you want to go straight to questions and answers or you want or you want to talk a little bit about about being restored to sanity? No, I this is very difficult for me not to expound. This is a QA period. For this particular article. Okay, go ahead, uh, Israel. Israel Raish from Israel, you have a question? Yeah. Hello, Arvi. Glad to see you again. It's uh, thank you very much for giving the time to us, and uh, and thank you, Daniel, for organizing all this. Um, the question is, uh, if I if I feel my un unmanageability. Uh, about uh, my character defects, but uh, it means if I think that they, uh, sometime I will, I will, uh, I can uh, deal with my anger. Sometime I'll, uh, I will get uh, <clears throat> successfully uh, my anger, my uh, you know my self pity, my self centrism, my ego, all, all of this. I mean, is it also uh, insanity? Because you mentioned that is someone that thinks that he can, you know, successfully last, lasting, it's insanity. About the character defects, it's, it's the same. Israel, I'm going to ask you to ask the same question instead of using the word unmanageable to use the word insanity. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if I if I powerless about my character defects, like the book says, so I'm also insane in this, right? Okay, it's part of my insanity. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Meaning, I cannot 
trust my own thinking. Okay? So what is anger and fear? Anger and fear is part of my insanity. I get frightened of things from the future that haven't happened yet. Delusional thinking. I'm making it up. It hasn't happened yet. And what is anger? Anger is going back and getting annoyed at what happened to me in the past that someone did, which is delusional because it's in the past and it no longer is real. It's not happening today. So, so much of our character defects are related to imaginary things. And the insanity is that I think I could control it and maybe even enjoy being annoyed at the same person or whatever it is. And as many of you know from my other talks, a lot of times anger and fear are merely the next rub that pops up when the lust settles down. Because it's all located in the same hypothalamic area in our brain. Next question. Moshe W. Hey, Moshe W. Sexaholic. Thank you, Harvey. What I wanted to ask is just more of a practical question based on what you, you shared. It. You shared this idea of approaching lust almost like the tides. You know, they come in and it goes out and just watching it come in and go out. You know, I'm sorry, so, Moshe, I interrupted you. Carry on, sorry. Sorry. So, so what I wanted to ask is when is it appropriate to, you know, just watch lust come and go? When is it appropriate to avoid it? Like, for example, let's say I see an attractive woman on the street. You know, should I, you know, just say this is a woman, you know, I don't have to lust, just watch the lust sort of come and go. Or should I be, you know, you know, like you said, the essay salute last week, like trying to avoid the lust. You know, when, when is it appropriate? If that makes oh, sense. Wonderful question, too. Um, You cross the street, <laughs> or you do the essay salute. If you don't take an action of recovery and have the insanity to think I could handle seeing it again, you're then not going to have the aberrant thought. You've already taken an action of recovery. It's when we don't take the action of recovery. See, we last week we talked about how lust leads to acting out. Well, at, when we take a recovery step, a lot of times there is even no connection to lust. It's just an aberrant thought, oh, that woman's beautiful, I'd like to go out with her. If you're crossing the street at the same time, it all kind of melts away. If you're really doing it, this, you want to stay comfortable that day. Now, did I 
just bull crap or did that answer your question? Um, you need I, to fine tune that. Yeah, like my question for me is what is is that not sort of avoiding last? Like, you know, wouldn't be the ideal approach be just to, you know, that I see this woman, but I can just stay on the same side of the street because it's just last, you know, it's like the tides. I can just let it come and pass. It shouldn't affect me. You know, that's kind of my thing. When is it appropriate just to let it go? When is it like, you know, I have to focus on it, make sure I'm taking an action? Good luck. Man, if you could handle walking on the same street, go for it. I have to cross the street. Because I want to be comfortable. If I could avoid having to deal with my head by taking an action of lust, okay. Why, why put ourselves through that discomfort? Also, these beautiful women you talk about, after you've had sex with them, they're not so beautiful. That's another part of the insanity. After sex, it's amazing. You find they have bad breath. You find they maybe didn't bathe so well. It's amazing how reality sets in the minute you have the orgasm. Because so much of this is built into the delusional thinking and the insanity and the hallucinations. Oh, she's so gorgeous. Yeah. That's all part of it. Have I just confused you? Oh, it's good. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, Sam A. Hey, thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Harvey, for the talk. I'm Sam, sexolic, blastolic from Vienna, Austria. Uh, I'm uh, also today, I, I've been uh, listening again to Back to Basics, uh, big book, uh, and the third step is sanity. And, uh, so we can't we hear you, Sam. Maybe cover your, you covered your microphone. Mm, speak louder, not properly. Maybe. Unplug it, unplug it. Okay. No, we're not hearing you. We'll, we'll get back to you, okay, Sam? Go ahead, Kobe. Hey, I'm Kobe. I'm a sexaholic. Um, I guess my question is, it's not really a question, maybe just something you could elaborate on, um, but as someone who struggles with mental obsession, um, like diagnosed with depression, and I, I think I could diagnose myself with much other, many other things as well, uh, how do you balance being in the 12-step program, like I said, other programs, and dealing with something like a mental disease? I mean, we believe that, I think program, it's, it's a spiritual disease, so how do we balance that insanity? When, when should I be calling my therapist? When should I be calling my sponsor? When should I be, you know, uh, I guess, reading a self-help book? And when should I be reading the white book? Um, that's my question. Thank you. Thank you. I don't believe it's a spiritual disease. I'm not talking transcendent. I believe it's a biological disease. And I was born with it. 
and it causes a spiritual disease. It causes a disconnect from a power greater than myself. And when my genitalia becomes my higher power, it confuses lots of things, but probably only te about 10% of the population are sex, sex addicts. Eight to 12% are alcoholics. Most of us have been genetically susceptible to this illness. And so many people who have this illness also have other psychiatric problems. Dual diagnosis goes along with addiction, alcohol, a lot of studies. And I really suggest people look this up about the connection, how about the genetic connection of alcoholism. We're just not that advanced in sexual addiction yet because it's become a political issue in many places. So they want to kind of normalize a lot of things. But man, I'm not a normal man. I have a damage. Now, when I take my medicine, medication, the program, a lot of these problems have gone away. Now, if you have bipolar or chemical imbalance, that's a separate addiction, and not addicted disease, just like if you had diabetes. So it's not an either or thing, in my opinion. Did that answer your question, Kobe? Or Yes, yes, thank you very much. Great. Uh, we have a question um, on the message that came to me. Uh, this is from someone who's actually celebrating 18 months today, Harvey. Um, and it's, uh, they're asking, in all the years of sobriety that you've had, did you ever have the thing, did you ever have the thought, enough, I'm cured, let me just test it out. Let me check out a locker room. Let me watch my wife undress, just to test that maybe you might be sane now. He's asking, how will I ever know if I'm sane if I keep telling myself I'm insane and can never even dip my toe into the pool of lust and test it out? Is my insanity a permanent, incurable disease? I suggest a schizophrenic not stop his medication. I suggest a diabetic not stop his medication. I'm one of those people who at 28 got diagnosed with high blood pressure. And they told me to take blood pressure medicine and my pressure got normal. And every time it got normal, I said, I'm cured. And I stopped taking my medicine. And within six to eight weeks, it was up again. I did that so many times that one part of my heart became bigger than another part. And finally, I gave up. 
that I have an incurable illness of high blood pressure. Now, some people can be restored to sanity permanently, but I don't believe they're sex addicts. I believe they're sexual abusers. Just like there are alcohol abusers, and as the AA book calls it, the real alcoholic. I have children who stop drinking at a very young age, and they don't go to meetings. They caught it very early, and the disease had not progressed. Um, each person will have to look at this differently. I like to play safe. Now, why would I want to test it <laughs> if I'm doing okay? If I'm functioning sane and I'm doing well, what do I gain? And I'm trying to see <laughs> if I can do it. Only if you're insane. <laughs> um, the big book in AA is real good about this it says man you don't believe it go out and test yourself the problem with many of us is if we miscalculate and there are quite a few people I know who miscalculate it they ended up in jail. They had some long-term sobriety and decided they were cured. Not everyone has that reaction. But after 36 years and I'm, I'm enjoying my life, why, why experiment? I still know if I look, when I'm honest with myself, if I let myself see my genitalia in a mirror, inside me, I know my mind will say, was it the way it should look? Why don't you look again? Maybe you better look again. Maybe you let it develop a little more, and then you could look again. I know that's going to happen to me. Other people could look at themselves in the mirror down there. I'm not going to be able to do it successfully. To thine own self be true. This is not a cookie cutter program. This is my experience, strength and hope. And I'm not saying it arrogantly. But it's been working for me for a lot of years. And I once called my sponsor, Jess, up. And I said, Jess, I'm getting so tired of every time I notice someone to say, God, whatever it is I'm looking for them, may I find in you. Don't you think it's time I could let go and stop doing it every time? And he laughed. From what I remember, he just said, if it's not broken, don't fix it. 
And so I've never changed my style. If I'm in a, even a meeting, when we had face-to-face meetings, and a door opens and I hear the door and I automatically look, I've already made that prayer. Uh, I want to tell a story I've told in the past. There was this most wonderful man ever in the program. He was just most beautiful human being. He died quite a few years ago. And um, we were giving back-to-back at an international conference talks, like 25 minutes for him, 25 minutes for me. And right before the talk, he runs into me. He says, Harvey, Harvey, I'm so upset. I'm so upset and embarrassed. And I said, why? And he said, well, these two guys were talking. And I looked at them. And I ended up walking into a glass wall. And I'm so embarrassed. And I said, well, did you make that prayer? God, whatever it is I'm looking for in those guys, may I find it in you. And he said, well, I wasn't sure if it was a lust thought or not. And I said, I'm too ill to take that time to make a decision whether it's a lust thought or not. Well, look, I have to do it automatically. One day, my kids, they were driving at the time, and I was jogging or walking, and they said, Dad, we, God, you're, you're unbelievable you know, with your recovery. We saw you praying, your lips moving while you were jogging down the street. <laughs> I never said to them, oh, yeah, I saw some triggers, and it automatically prayed for them. They thought I was so homely. <laughs> they know I was in the program. They, most of them know my story. Those who don't are the ones who don't want to know because I've given them permission to ask me. Uh, yeah, next question. Okay. Uh, uh, we, ha- we have the question that uh, Sam wanted to say, but his microphone wasn't working. He was saying, he, he, he wants to ask, what does Harvey suggest... What do you suggest for those who clearly realize that an idea is insane, uh, things that they've done and repeated and they were destructive, but that still have that same thought again and again that maybe they still want to do it? And we have a special word for that, powerlessness. We're powerless. And I usually suggest to people that they say that to their higher power. Higher power. I'm still not willing to let go of it. What can I tell you? I still want to lust. Just be honest about it. Be honest with yourself. 
Be honest with your higher power. There's nothing you can say to your higher power that's going to make him stop loving you. He knows your thoughts before you even have them. So you just get honest with yourself and others. You call other people up. You say, I'm not willing to let this go. And when you say, I'm not willing to let it go, be sure you explicitly say what it is that you don't want to let go. One of these articles that I had done was about the fungus of the brain. It only grows in dark places, the athlete's foot of the mind. And Roy says we need to share it in details, details. And it loses its power. As most of you know, I have this thing that people really don't share. They talk in vague terms. Like, I had a tough day lusting today. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> lusting, it's a meaningless word. What do you mean? What really was happening that day? Tell your sponsor explicitly. And I say to my sponsor, Dave, I'm going to share explicitly now. That gives him a moment in time if he wants to put the phone away or if he wants to hear it. But I'm going to say it with every detail that's shaming me. Because the light kills it. And shame makes it grow bigger. Next question. Uh, yeah, I just want to tell everyone that I am going in the order that the questions are coming in. We've got quite a few coming in and uh, texts to me as well. Um, so Mark D, he had his hand up before a lot of the questions came in. Go ahead, Mark D. Hi, Harvey. I'm Mark. I'm from the Nashville area. I really appreciate you doing these talks and holding these meetings. Um, I hope this isn't a silly question. But being restored to sanity, to me presupposes that I've been sane at one time and I don't know when that's been. And so I don't know. I wonder how I will know that I am being restored to sanity. Thanks. Oh, what a great question. I have my sponsees for their first step. Keep it very simple. I have them write on one sheet of paper how they know they're powerless. What has happened to prove they're powerless? On another sheet of paper, I have them write their unmanageability, how much it costs them, how much time and money, business-wise, management. But on a third piece of paper, I have them prove to me they're insane. And this is part of a first, second step inventory for me and my sponsees. If I don't know my insanity, you're absolutely right. How can you be restored?
Now, if we weren't insane, we wouldn't be on this meeting. People have had consequences and yet have not been able to stop. Just like the jaywalker. We get hurt or injured or shamed or caught. And then we do it again. And that's insanity. So uh, I strongly suggest people read more about alcoholism, that chapter. Because that's really the one about insanity to get a better feel for it. Uh, it's written, um, all these original Oxford people and 12-step people had that they really used were Emmett Fox, some Oxford things, and the New Testament. That's what they based a lot of things on. And so the AA book has aspects of parables like you have in the New Testament. And so if you read the stories, you will see that Jim and the Jaywalker and uh, I forgot the third guy's name. These are parables. These stories have a lot of messages. Now, the big book also has quotes from the, what some people call the Old Testament or the Bible. It's a mixture of things. And then it starts by the 11th step getting little touches of Eastern influences, of meditation. And it's just fascinating to see all this being built together in this, what Bill was inspired to do, to write. And remember, the first 164 pages of the big book is our basic text. Roy assumed you knew the first 164 pages. He didn't even want to write the essay book. I can't tell you the trouble we had getting him to write the essay book. He was a very humble man. He just wouldn't write it. <laughs> so what we started to do was take his articles and put them in a loose-leaf book. He'd send us these little articles. And then we kind of made our own book. And then finally, he made the first book. Have ever any of you seen that first book? The eight by, let me get one for you. Hold it one second. I'm in short, so I'm gonna black myself out. <laughs>
part of my program, by the way, is I never wear shorts to a meeting. Wearing socks, I don't have a foot fetish yet, but many people do. And it's courtesy. If you can, to dress appropriately at a meeting. With, with socks, with pants, women not kind of being super exposed. No one could make you stop. How do I know that? Because for years and years, I tried stop control. I tried controlling dress in our meetings, and I it was one hundred percent failure. And after years and years, I started keeping my mouth shut because I realized there was a group conscience. People want to wear shorts and short shorts, and you name. But I don't do that out of respect for me and other people. And again, this is just me, not the program. This is what the book looked like. It was eight by 12. And here's the table of contents. And, uh, you know, that's what it was like, although this is the wrong book. This is the first member story book. <laughs> but it looked just like this. It's in my library, just like this. And that's how everything was printed at first. By the way, the first edition was very adamantly against wet dreams. And by the second edition, Roy softened it up because many people were having wet dreams and Jess back in 84, 85 would laugh and say, he called wet dreams recovery. There's none of us would have wet dreams as we were too busy masturbating. <laughs> before coming into the program. But again, this is just a little bit of history that I'd like to throw in. Uh, who's next? Uh, next question is from Jason in San Diego. Jason, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I got it. Thanks for calling me. This has been a wonderful session. Thank you, Harvey. Um, question for you. In the big book, around the 10th step, it says... Uh, we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, in our case, lust. For by this time, sanity will have been returned. We will seldom be interested in lust. If tempted, we recoil from it as if from a hot flame. We react normally and sanely and normally. We will find that this has happened automatically. And I'm in, I'm in the beverage program, too. In fact, I came into that that program 10 years after it was here, just kind of the reverse order that many people have. But anyway, I found that going through the steps, that that is how I react to alcohol. And it seems to me, I'm not clear whether we have the same experience. 
or whether we have to, and you've been addressing this very well today already, my, my feelings. So you can go in as deep as you want, but how, where are we parallel to AA and where do we vary based on having a different illness? Like we're diabetic, not heart patients, for example. How, how do you see that? And, and also what's your experience with this idea of reacting samely and normally, like as if from a hot flame? I appreciate that. Thank you. I can't tell you what an important question that is. Because I was bothered by that for years. Because I wasn't seeing it happen in the program. And then it started. <laughs> it started happening to me. First time it happened was I was sober maybe seven, eight years. And I was looking for something in this office building near where I worked. And I put my head through each office to look for this person. And my eyes caught the eyes of this guy. As you know, I'm an equal opportunity. Mm-hmm. Women and men, no one's safe from me. And my eyes caught his eyes. And I felt it come into my body. And as I'm walking down the hall, I started to vomit. First time I experienced lust as poison. It was all intellectual up to that point. It finally became an awakening that this poisons me. I'm not talking morality wise. (laughs) I'm talking physiologically. I get poisoned. Over the years, it happens often. And um, I do recoil from it like a flame. And I'm glad you brought that up, especially it goes back to another question about why don't I take some double looks and why don't I hang around with my wife's undressing? Because... It poisons me. I'm intimate with my wife, but that's the only time that I, I, I deal with nudity. It happens to me on television. I screen my shows for nudity. Nudity is not good for me. And I screen my shows And sometimes, as well as you screen them, wow, something pops up. And I just react to it. Now, I've had a method that people don't talk about often. We tend to have euphoric recall. I talk about this a lot, but I don't hear it spoken about. We... Most people 
have euphoric recall. The memory stops at the orgasm. A sensation that is spectacular. Nothing quite like it. It stops at the orgasm. It doesn't tell you the rest of the story. There has to be a rest of the story or you wouldn't be here. Yes, nothing's wrong with an orgasm. Nothing wrong with sex. People handle pornography. People have affairs. I can't do it successfully. So euphoric recall is a lie because it only tells me half the story. What happens afterwards? And I can't equate this for women because I can't. But I'll give an example for men. Many of us would masturbate in our car. And the sensation and the excitement when you get caught with it. But you don't remember how you'd have to clean yourself up. The little odor that would come afterwards. And the sticking to your leg experience. You don't remember that part. And how I'd have to run in and take a shower. The disease stops us with the insanity of the euphoric recall. This is an AA technique. Think through the first drink. There's nothing's, well, an orgasm's better to me, but nothing like the buzz you get from that first couple of drinks. But you think it through, what really happens? As you can see, so much of our program is about tools and techniques of breaking through, of being restored to sanity. So find people who have a program like you would like and ask them, how do you deal with these issues? And you'll learn tools and you'll see which ones fit you and which ones don't. Okay. Now, by the way, as you've noticed, I'm very explicit. I'm very explicit because of the insanity of some of the things we say in our program. If you act out because of what I've said, that's not true. You are going to act out anyway. You, will, you cannot be made to act out by another person. No way. And that's one of the things I say to people. Because they're always fantasizing about this stuff. I say, what if it's true? And that woman you think is so attractive comes up to you 
and says, I want to have sex with you today. What will you do? It's a simple question. Will you have sex with her that day or won't you? If you will, then you know where your program is. But the truth is, you probably would say no. But your fantasy wants you to say yes. So it's a trick I taught myself many, many years ago about answering those fantasies in my head when in the early days of my recovery, I, I would have these old memories and fantasies. And if you won't do it, why waste your time on it? It's then pure insanity, which is fantasy, delusions, hallucination, make-believe. You know, I always talk about my delusion. I'm almost 81. I see a young, attractive gal in her 20s, and she smiles like the book said, even now, or says something nice, and my mind hears her saying, gee, I'm into old men. I'd like to have sex with him. <laughs> and... <laughs> I laugh. It's a delusion. What 20-year-old wants to have sex with an 80-year-old? It's delusional thinking. And then I laugh at the insanity. I'm glad my wife will have sex with me. <laughs> Let alone <some> 20-year-old. <laughs> the joy of living is our theme. If we can't laugh, I show this time and again. My sponsor had me buy a clown. This is a clown I got 36 years ago. It was opposite my bed for years. Now it's in my meditation room. He said, Harvey, what do you do when you go to a circus and you see a clown doing all that crazy stuff? Those crazy antics. I'd say, you laugh. And he said, well, that's what you are, Harvey. In your disease, you do crazy antics. You need to learn to laugh at all this. So get yourself a clown, he said, and remember you're a clown. Not us. At meetings are like you're attending a funeral. You could cut the shame with the scissor. You could cut the morbidity. I mean, whoo! No, what freedom! We're free today. And if you're struggling, at least you're free that hour at a meeting. You're not acting out. At least at the face-to-face -face meetings. I don't know about Zoom meetings. <laughs> but at least at a face-to-face -face meeting, you got an hour of sobriety. So meetings don't have to be heavy and sad. No, it's joyous.
We're sharing our imperfections which make us have progressive victory over lust, another paradox. Okay, wow, we ran over a bit. One last question. Go for it, go, go ahead, Dennis. Sure, Harvey Dennis from Long Island. Uh, you talk about being explicit with your sponsor. How explicit should I be getting in a meeting? I'll keep this in the eye. It's a little difficult. In Nashville, for many of us, uh, we're quite explicit. We were so explicit that I haven't, that we don't have to be that explicit anymore. <laughs> I can't explain it. We developed a large base of recovery. Now, people who have just gone into with a prostitute and come back to a meeting and is totally drunk needs to put his the cotton in his take the cotton out of his ears and put it in his mouth he needs to keep his mouth shut he's drunk in aa they would not let someone who has been drinking all day take over a meeting and for years and years we had in recovery the 30-day imperative you had, you couldn't share in the first 30 minutes of the meeting unless you had a month of more sobriety or you end up with a drunk meeting not a, a, a sober recovery meeting but if someone has some long-term sobriety or some is sober and they want to share explicit in many of our Nashville meetings, we have a writing. If it's too explicit, raise your hand. The person will stop sharing so you could leave the room and come back when you feel you can. Not every meeting in Nashville, but quite a few have that. It's up to the groups. There's no right or wrong way. But at least to share it with your sponsor with every detail. Thanks, Harvey. Oh, I want to say one thing. When someone tells me they're going to be explicit, yes, I'm a sex addict. I protect myself. I make a prayer. God, let me hear this with your ears, with your hearing. It's what I say before I do a speaker meeting. God, speak for me. If you have something for me to say. If a sponsor cannot, and there are communities where sponsors won't listen to it, they say it's too much for me, then at least find someone in your community in recovery. You don't even have to use them as a sponsor who will listen to your explicit share. A burden shared is half as heavy.
burden shared is half as heavy. Thanks, Harvey. Now, uh, one more thing. Can you imagine when you're able to share it in a large room that it's one tenth as heavy, one twentieth as heavy? That doesn't mean you share with four letter words. It doesn't mean you share with terms that are uh, gutter terms. But in every language, to my knowledge, I don't have that knowledge. I take that back. Many languages have okay words like genitalia, like sexual intimacy, you know, different things where you don't have to share with street talk, but you could share exactly with details. Okay, I'm in a roll. I'm in a zone. One more question, and then I better stop this. I could go on for hours. Well, no one's got their hands up. Um, okay, fine. So I, I could talk for a, for a minute or two and ask you, but it's okay. We'll move on. We'll let you go. Let's what close with the, uh, a moment of inhaling and exhaling and then the serenity. Serenity prayer. Gone. And the, the serenity. Accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change things I can't. Things we can't. It's not the difference. I will. I will be done. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.